listening to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch, the content intelligence platform. This episode is part of our data-driven marketing leader series hosted by Notch co-founder and CEO, Anda Gonska. In these interviews, we chat with CMOs, VPs, and others who are ahead of the curve when it comes to both content and data and how they use both to move their businesses forward. We reveal really unique perspectives on the importance and intersection of measurement and content, as well as a ton of fun personal stories and career advice from these incredible leaders. Enjoy. Hey, hello everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Data Driven Marketing Leader. I'm joined today by Brian, who is the VP of Marketing at Udacity, and I just learned is from Ireland. Hello, Brian, and welcome. Hey, Anda. It's great to be here with you. Good to have you. So you have a really interesting background. Sounds like you've really been in the Bay Area for almost 20 years now. So you left home quite a while back, but would love to just learn a bit more about your journey as a marketer and how you got to where you are. Sure. Yeah, I'm out of Ireland for a long time now. It feels like a long time, but I still feel very Irish, if that helps. I actually started my career as a technical writer for an e-learning company. So that's where I could earn my chops, if you like. I did an English degree and studied Anglo-Irish literature. So coming out of college, I was obviously asking myself, where is this going to take me? What am I going to do? So writing was kind of my first love and my passion. And I wasn't quite sure how to channel that into a career. Started work as a technical writer and sort of took it from there. The beauty of that job for me was, A, I love to write and structure content and work with editors. And I love that whole creative process. And B, it kind of helped me to understand that marketing and a lot of business is about talking to an audience and finding out how to communicate and relate to that audience. So for me, one of the number one skills of any marketer is really strong writing. If you can write and articulate yourself clearly to a specific audience or persona, I think that is half the battle. And I probably learned more in that first job out of college in terms of my writing style and being succinct, writing in a way that's clear and concise than I did all through school and college. So I think that's the one big skill I picked up from my first job out of college. And I think I've continued to try and improve my writing skills and try and improve the way I communicate and the companies that I work for communicate as a result of that. Well, first of all, I love the fact that you said you're still Irish. I am from Romania and I still very much feel Romanian in almost every way, except maybe a bit culturally since I've spent so long here in the U.S., In terms of your story, it sounds like you really started with content, which is so interesting that that's kind of first skill set you learned. And I agree that it's such a foundational skill set to have as a marketer because it's all about storytelling and the rest is really just the tactics around storytelling. Is that what made you really passionate about marketing? Is that why you wanted to kind of jump in and build a career in it or were there other elements of it? I think that led me gradually towards it. I wouldn't say it was a conscious decision back then, but like, for example, English major coming out of college, I was handed a manual on trusted domains in Windows NT networks. I had to try and make sense of this content and write intelligently about it so that the editor I presented my work to didn't vomit all over it. So yes, I mean, figuring out how to create compelling content was a huge part of my role back then. And I think that's something that's really stayed with me. I think the essence of marketing is storytelling and it is communicating to an audience, sometimes an audience that you are 
very familiar with and sometimes an audience that you're not so familiar with. And you need to fall back on your writing skills, your creative skills to reach that audience in a compelling way, in an authentic way. I'm curious, I saw that you've obviously gone through the growth marketing track. So you started with content, ended up running growth marketing. Now you do so much more than that. You're a lot at a higher level doing probably all of these things. But I'm curious about that growth marketing experience and what was it within the content experience that kind of helped you do that role really well? Content for me is like the fuel that drives your growth engine. It's really hard to run a demand gen or growth engine without high quality content. And the reason for that, I think, is that that's how you engage the right people at the right accounts and get them to care about what you have to say. And it kind of goes back to my point about authenticity. It's really important that you're not trying to make yourself look good, but you're actually trying to engage with your target audience. You're trying to speak their language and engage with the things that they care about. So you're not pushing a perspective about your company or your solution on your audience. You're actually understanding that audience first, what they care about, what their pain points are, how you can solve those pain points. So it kind of goes back to my overall philosophy on marketing. It's like, do not be annoying, interruptive, be helpful, be consultative, add value. Add value. And I think that's kind of the underlying importance of content. That's how content can drive a demand gen engine to be really successful. I think every marketing team should have a poster that says, do not be annoying, that they have to <laughs> look at every hour. <laughs> it's a really good perspective to have. I think it's interesting that so many marketing teams are only now coming around to content. I'm curious, actually, if you've seen this, but it felt like when COVID hit, almost everyone kind of realized, oh, shit, we have to create content. We have to have digital means to add value to our customer base. And I think in particular, B2B teams who were so reliant on event marketing had to pivot really quickly towards more and more and more content. Have you seen this trend, first of all? And second of all, do you think it led to the creation of higher quality content or lower quality content? I think the former, I think higher quality content. And I was exactly that guy. I was running demand gen for an ABM company at the time. Events was one of our most effective channels for generating pipeline. Pre-COVID, I wouldn't say you could be a little bit lazy, but you could certainly get away with doing a few events that didn't really work out and didn't quite hit your target audience. And that's okay because you've got eight more events and some of them are going to work out. When COVID hit and that whole chunk of pipeline just disappeared, like that was a scary drop. That was like within one quarter, that first quarter of COVID, most demand gen marketers were looking at their pipeline going, oh crap, I've lost 15, 20% of my pipeline. And this is not going to be a pretty picture six, nine months down the road when we're coming to try and close some of these deals and turn this pipeline into customers. So I think it forced a lot of us to be inventive and creative to fill that gap immediately. Virtual events obviously became a huge thing. And certainly my teams bought into that. We ran a number of virtual events and they were pretty successful initially, maybe not quite as successful as in person. But ultimately, I think the virtual event business started to decline as well. And that's where I think people really flicked over to content, like high quality content in the absence of in-person is probably the best way to engage with your target audience, with your buying committee. And I think it did cause companies to take some of that money that would typically have been invested in trade shows, conferences, traditional field marketing, and plow it into in-depth research reports, promoting analyst reports that represent your solution in the mix of 
the overall marketplace. Certainly at Udacity, that's something that we did as well. So we commissioned a study with Ipsos, for example, talking about learning outcomes for large organizations and for individuals. And like that was a big undertaking. It took months. We interviewed hundreds of people on the enterprise side and thousands of people on the consumer side and produced a really high quality piece of content that I don't think we would have invested in if it wasn't for COVID. Like we really had to pivot to content hard and produce content that was in-depth, insightful, relevant to the audience, all of those good things. Is that pivot continuing? Is the investment in content continuing at that level? Or do you see things shifting back into event marketing now that people are more comfortable getting together? Yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest, obviously shifting back to in-person slowly, but I don't think we're all the way there yet by any means. And certainly from a pipeline perspective, we're not either. But I certainly don't see any pullback in the need for quality content, because even when you run an event, you need content to fall back on. So that Ipsos report that I talked about, we use that all the time in field marketing events. We use it in sponsored events because it's just got great nuggets about learning outcomes and data that you can use across the board. So I think while the budgets are starting to even out and it's not all going into content anymore, I think people have seen the light in terms of high quality content and what it can do for you from a pipeline creation perspective. One of the points that you were making indirectly with this high quality content research study that you commissioned with Ipsos is that if you create a really high quality content asset, you can use it and reuse it so many times, you can cut it in a million different ways. I think you could argue that, especially as we're headed into a more recessionary environment, that content is just a very efficient way to think about marketing and potentially can lead to even more organic acquisition, can lead to doing more with less. Do you see that as kind of your thinking about planning for next year? Yeah. So one thing I sort of advise marketers on content is not to think of content as just one homogeneous bucket. The way I look at content with my enterprise marketing hat on is content should align to some stage of the buyer's journey. You know, at Udacity, we kind of follow the awareness, consideration, decision, purchase funnel, and different content will engage people in different ways depending on where they are in that journey. So someone at the awareness stage is really just finding out about your company. They may not even really know what you do. They know they have a pain point or a problem, but they haven't got to the point of looking at vendors and doing bake-offs and all that stuff. They're really just, they're a problem looking for a solution. And I think the content you craft for that high top of funnel is very, very different from the content that you craft for somebody who's in the purchase stage, who is actively researching different vendors and asking for pricing and competitive analysis and all that stuff. So I definitely think when you look at content, you should look at it with an overlay of the funnel and the stage of the buyer's journey that you're at. And that's something we've done at Udacity. So we have created what we call stage-aware content. And that's content that's specifically tied to a stage of the buyer's journey. So what does our key persona know about us at this stage? What are they looking for? Do they understand the other solutions in the market? Do they understand how we're differentiated? Ultimately, what does success look like for that person and that company? And we're trying to match our content to exactly where that key persona at a target account is. I think that's the holistic view of content. And it takes a while. It's a heavy lift to build all that content and map it to the different stages. But once you have it, it's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving because it's great for nurture. It's great for SDRs and sales teams. They can share content with prospects depending on where they are, depending on what industry they're in, depending on what persona or title they map to. 
that content asset, once you've built it, it is incredibly powerful. I love this idea of stage-aware content. I don't think I've actually heard it before, but it makes so much sense. It's one of those really simple terms that you're like, of course, of course you want to have stage-aware content. But I actually think the implication of thinking about it that way is very powerful because we work with a lot of teams that create a lot of content. And when you ask them, like, how do you decide what content to create? It's typically because some product leader asked them to. There's some kind of demand on just, oh, we have to keep making. And it's kind of like the overlords of the business units that just tell us what to do. Whereas this notion of stage-aware content imposes this level of discipline from the planning process. And it means that every asset you create afterwards really has to map against the KPIs of that particular stage. Curious though, given the fact that most marketing teams are very much structured to deal with top of funnel and bottom of funnel, how do you deal with the fact there's kind of a gap in the middle of the funnel in terms of people's jobs and their focus? How do you mean gap in the middle of the funnel? Maybe you guys are structured differently, but I'll tell you what I see in other teams. There's top of funnel teams like paid and social and SEO, and they're in charge of bringing people to the content. And then there's bottom of the funnel teams like performance and growth and whatever the term is that are really obsessed with optimizing the last touch and maybe the last couple of touches. But if you're Udacity or you're a high consideration product of any kind, you have many touches. And so there's kind of a gap in the middle in terms of no one on your team. It's not their job to really focus on the middle of the funnel. So as you think about stage-aware content, whose job is it to think about that? Whose job is it to create the tactics and the creative for the middle of the funnel? I get what you're coming from now. For me, that kind of falls to the demand gen, the ABM team to have full funnel coverage, right? So I don't think of paid digital as top of funnel or middle of funnel or bottom of funnel. The reality is we use paid all throughout the funnel. We just use different content assets to map to different stages, right? So like a paid campaign bottom of funnel might highlight an ungated case study. It might highlight competitive battle card. It might highlight a value proposition that really articulates why you should choose Udacity over one of our competitors. At the top of the funnel, you're really educating people about the industry and about the pain points they may be experiencing. So in that case, you'd be showcasing much more educational content like eBooks and stuff that tells people, hey, I know you have a pain point. You're trying to upskill this this number of people and most of your upskilling solutions suck. So what do you do? And I do think it's the demand gen's team's responsibility to make sure that you're filling each of the stages of the funnel with appropriate content and you're building that content off a framework. So it's not like you're responding to random acts of marketing, like we need this report here and now we need benchmark study here and now we need an analyst report here. Like you're actually being very mindful about where there are gaps in your content strategy and where you're not doing a good job of engaging with accounts and the buying committee at accounts, depending on what stage they're at. So I think that having that overarching framework for content really helps you execute campaigns at all levels of the funnel. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it sounds like really what you're saying is focus on ABM. Because when you're thinking about the journey of a set of accounts that you're focused on, you're forced to just kind of be empathetic to who you're trying to sell to and forced to align all your tactics to it. Given everything that you're running now and given the fact that you started with content but went into growth, I'm assuming data is near and dear to your heart and the way you think about planning. First, before we get into kind of how you measure stuff, tell me first, who does that? 
measurement and KPI creation and tracking within Udacity? So we're broken out by business unit largely. So we have business unit dedicated to enterprise, a business unit dedicated to consumer, and a business unit dedicated to societal impact and government. And then we have a portfolio, essentially corporate marketing team that's shared services. For us, data sits within each of the business units. So data analysts will live on each business unit and run data analytics on that business forecasting, help us understand the trends, what's happening on the consumer side, what's happening on the enterprise side. So in our instance, it's a dedicated resource on each of the business units. But I've seen other models work where data is a shared service and you basically pull from a team of data analysts to help each of the business units as needed. That makes a lot of sense. How do you deal with the planning process when it comes to what KPIs you should track? What is the measurement framework and the methodology? How much do you get to inform that and kind of the creation of that that the data team does? Yeah, so typically the data team will be working off, like we'll have a set of business objectives for that unit. So be they bookings, pipeline, pipeline coverage, closed one business. And the role of the data team is to help us forecast so that we can kind of see, are we going to hit our bookings goal on that business unit? Are there particular geos where we're having challenges or runaway success? If we're doing promotions, for example, on the consumer side, we definitely want to see what's the projected impact of this promo that we're running. How much of a lift do we think we're going to get in bookings off the back of this promo? Are we pacing ahead or behind? And ultimately, it's a reassurance for the business that we're either on track, we're ahead of target, or we've got some ground to make up. So the data team serves a really valuable role in just keeping us aligned and on track with our business goals. That's the kind of punchline business goals. What about the second order optimization metrics that your team would be looking at every day and changing their tactics? On the consumer side, we do a lot of testing, right? So we're testing different landing pages, different CTAs, and the data team plays a big role in that as well. So if we're split testing two different approaches, we'll ultimately run those tests, see if there's statistically significant results that we can full scale across the entire site, depending on what we're testing. That's a really important role for the data team to play, certainly on the consumer side of the business. On the enterprise side of the business, we do some testing, admittedly not as much, because that tends to be more focused on an integrated campaign where we're running multiple channels. We're obviously testing different ad creative and figuring out what's engaging our audience best and giving it enough time to make that call with our agency and deciding, yeah, this set of ads, this ad format this CTA is working best, let's full scale that across the campaign. So I'd say on the enterprise side, a lot of the testing happens in the earlier part of the integrated campaign. Once we've got our findings and we know what's working, we'll full scale it across the whole campaign. That makes a lot of sense. It's a very thoughtful way to think about both the punchline insights as well as the optimization metrics. So pretty cool to see and to hear. I'll switch gears for a second and ask you, what's hard about marketing? Maybe it's not data because you seem to have figured it out. Most people say it's some level of data and measurement, but what's hard? So what's hard about marketing? There's many things that are hard about it. I think the reason I love marketing so much is because it's a blend of the creative side of your brain and the data-driven analytical side of your brain. So I think anywhere you have a coming together of creativity and results-oriented, data-driven business, 
there is a natural tension there, I think a good tension. But sometimes it is difficult to get the right level of creative effort to produce a really effective integrated campaign, for example. Beautiful, high quality assets, great landing pages, superb advertising. And also to keep an eye on the fact that this has to generate pipeline that progresses through your funnel and becomes closed one business. So it's very easy to over-index on the beautiful, perfectly executed campaign and then sort of overlook what's the buying committee we're trying to reach? Which industry are we trying to break open here? How much pipeline, how many opportunities are we looking to create? And how quickly do we want those ops to progress through the funnel? So I think it's easy to over-index on one or the other. You can also go the other way, over-index on the KPIs and the results and have a really crappy, poorly executed campaign with terrible creative. So it's finding the right balance between those two. I think that's what determines a really successful campaign. And for me, as a demand gen growth marketer, you're never happier than when you've launched a new campaign. It's an integrated campaign. All of your channels are firing your page or organic. You're doing some field marketing events. You're doing direct mail. Like you've got everything kind of coalesced around a really good campaign theme. It's going to run for several months. And like you're a couple of weeks in and you start to get hits from your target accounts. Like you start to get the perfect buyer from an account engaging with your team, asking for a demo, creating a first meeting, and you start to see that pipeline grow. That for me is nirvana for a growth marketer. That means you've got the balance right between creative and the KPIs and results that we all chase. I've definitely felt that feeling on our side as well. It does feel like magic when it starts to happen. And of course, it's not because it's a series of very well thought out tactics and some really good creative, but I know the feeling. It's a great one. Speaking about the balance between all the different channels, all the different investments, what we're seeing across the industry is that there's a massive decrease in brand spend. I don't think we're seeing a lot of increases anywhere, but I would say there's a bigger focus on just trying to do more things organically and efficient growth, let's call it. The other focus we're seeing is a lot of people are saying now's the time to really perfect that middle of the funnel. Just make sure that the whole apparatus is really properly built before we dump more brand money at the top. Is that what you're seeing and kind of doing or are you seeing something else? No, I think that's a fair assessment. I think given where we are here in 2022, I think a lot of companies are looking to be way more efficient with their spend. And I would say Udacity's no exception in that regard. We happen to have a very strong brand and good awareness because we came from the consumer beginnings and have sort of expanded into enterprise and social impact in government. Honestly, I think this is where an account-based approach really comes into its own because you still want to do some brand awareness, top of funnel, awareness and consideration stages. People don't really know who you are. Even the right people at the right accounts don't know who you are. So I think that's a great opportunity to run display advertising and to do some brand building tactics to get yourself known with the people you care most about. But I also think using segments, ABM segments to target your advertising so that you're only hitting the accounts that you really care about. You're not advertising to accounts that are outside your ICP that will never buy your solution or be a good fit for you. That's where real productivity comes from. And I think that's what a lot of companies are chasing. I do feel like ABM is a big part of the story towards being more efficient with our marketing spend and more targeted towards the accounts that are 
in market, strong fit, and moving through your funnel. That makes sense. One of the questions that I'm asking myself is, how does the uncertainty of next year really impact planning in general? So what I mean by that is, if we knew for sure that we were in a recession or headed into a recession, or if we knew for sure that we were not, or things were going to get better, it would really change the way we plan. But the fact that we don't really know is just creating a level of pause, I think, that may be more detrimental than if we even knew that we were in a worse scenario. Are you seeing that or feeling that across your peers? I mean, I think certainly there's a tendency to be cautious and not to overcommit on spend. And I think a lot of companies are focused on, quite rightly so, running really sound business and driving to profitability because the capital markets are locked up, like that's not happening. So profitability gives you control over your own destiny as a private company. So I think it's only perfectly natural that that's where companies are orienting. And I do think that puts pressure on discretionary spend or over-indexing on brand building, for example. I think a lot of companies are taking some of the money they would have put into those more top-of-funnel activities and really focusing on getting more efficient in terms of creating pipeline, progressing pipeline. The other thing not to forget about is your customers. Like in a recessionary environment, nothing beats a happy customer who's renewing and expanding. So I do think a lot of companies are doubling down on their customer success, customer relationships, and making sure that they are top of mind for customers, that they're not taking customers for granted. They're all well ahead of renewal dates. Anytime there's new releases or new features, showcasing those with your customers and sharing them is really important. So treating your customers as one of your biggest assets is another natural outcome of where we are from an economic point of view. I agree. We're definitely seeing that across both consumer and B2B marketers, the focus on customer success and retention. Final question for you, Brian. What is your advice to a marketer who's just getting started? Maybe this is their first year. Maybe it's their second year. They're looking at a very complicated, uncertain environment going forward. What's your advice to them? I would say don't freak out. Marketing is an amazing career. It's got all the benefits we talked about. Use your creative brain, use your logical data-driven brain. I would say we're certainly in for a period of scrutiny, you know, tightening of belts, budgets under review. That's natural for everybody. But what I would say is for most budding marketers, really think about what is important to you in terms of what makes marketing tick for you. Do you enjoy engaging with a specific audience? Do you enjoy writing creative? Do you enjoy creating hooks that will generate demand for a particular product? I would also say the product that you choose, where you choose to work, makes a huge difference. My advice to anyone is find a company whose mission you really believe in and whose products you really believe in, because that makes working hard for that company and engaging with the target audience so much easier. If you care about the mission and you feel that the product really solves a pain point in the market like nobody else, that's a green flag, like go for that. Conversely, if you don't quite feel that, then that is a red flag. You have to believe in the product and the mission to be a credible, authentic marketer. That would be my one piece of advice. I love that. I think also mission can carry you through a hard time. So it's a really good piece of advice. Thank you so much, Brian. It was such a pleasure to meet you today and to talk to you. My pleasure, Randa. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for listening to Data Driven CMO. 
take a moment to subscribe so you can drop in on future conversations with CMOs who are ahead of the curve in content and data, using both to move their businesses forward. Learn more how the right data can reveal your organization's true audience journey at Notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com. And thanks for listening.